I'm obviously not the announcements guy. Rich and Christy are out of town as well. But um, thanks to Chet for uh, teaching last week. I'm sure that was a sweet encouragement to you guys. I've listened to about a third of it so far on the podcast. I was kind of waiting on that to, to drop. And, um, but super grateful for, for him and filling in there from First Peter. Those are sweet truths. Um, I do have one announcement besides the, uh, the gym night, and that is we're having a missions-focused luncheon. Uh, we're sending out Michael Laurie in, in a few weeks. We're going to celebrate his commissioning on July 9th. Uh, Michael Laurie graduated with, with me at, at Expositors, and he's headed to China with his family, um, leaving mid-July. So this is a basically a missions-focused Sunday, and it's going to be uh, focused on launching him. And we're going to have a lunch on the grounds, and it looks like, reading this right now, please bring a side dish to share. So if you would like to come and you want to bring a, a side dish, just uh, you can sign up for, tell, tell, let us know if you're attending, and then tell us what you're going to, what you're going to bring. All right? So I'll send that. I'll start this with Isaac and uh, pass that around. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's open our time together in prayer, and we'll jump back into our series. Father, we are just very, very, very grateful to be part of your people this morning, and we're thankful to know you, uh, thankful to uh, be gathered together at Timberlake and underneath your shepherding um, in a healthy church with each other, just using our gifts and loving on each other this morning, and I was just thinking about this, how, how exciting it is to, to think of all that you're going to accomplish today. Um, by the power of your spirit, as your words taught and as your people love each other and serve and um, only heaven knows the fruit that you're going to produce and uh, we'll see it one day. And so Lord, help us labor in faith today as we, as we serve together and um, just enjoy our fellowship. And we do pray that you would attend the preaching of your word as you promised, that you would produce um, fruit in that and uh, you would just give us clarity in some of these common struggles that we're looking at. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, today we are going to get back into our series that we're calling uh, Common Struggles. And if you're new, I, I, we typically focus on something over the summers. Um, and I wanted to try to take this summer and give you some biblical clarity on some common issues that come up through the year as we shepherd uh, this demographic. And... The particular ones that I'm focusing on over the summer are ones that are kind of confusing to us. You know, kind of the culture recognizes that something's wrong and they're trying to address it. And so often that, that cultural assessment can creep into the church and begin to confuse the saints. And they have their own diagnoses of, of what's wrong in some of these struggles. But then they also have their own diagnoses of, like, how do you fix it, right? They have their own solutions. And really our goal in the series is to help you um, understand the struggle in biblical categories and then also how to battle it and make real progress, not just to cope or manage symptoms, but to make real progress by the power of Christ. And we know, just because we know our scriptures, that the more you progress in, in Christ's likeness, the more insight you're going to have to be able to help others um, in the very same struggles, and the struggles are all around us. So um, that's really the goal of the series. We're calling it Common Struggles, and we started the series by looking at the, the, the struggle of depression. We spent two weeks on that, 
And this week, we're going to pivot and address another struggle that is closely related to depression, even more common, more prevalent. Any guesses? Anxiety. You got it. So we're going to look at that um, this morning. Now, this is obviously not the first time that we've talked about anxiety here in Boundless. As you know, this is a familiar theme in Scripture. And last semester, when we studied Philippians, uh, Paul helped us think through this struggle in Philippians chapter 4. You remember that? He'd, we we kind of spent a couple weeks on looking at, looking at how to obtain God's peace, which has to do with, with anxiety. And then further back, we did a short series on the fear of man. And you're going to see how that's, that's related a little bit in a few minutes. We did a short series on the fear of man, but, but over the next two weeks, I want to treat this as a kind of a true topical message, a standalone, and try to help us get our minds around really what anxiety is, that's today, understanding anxiety, and then how to battle it, you know, in, in, we'll look at that next week. And so, you know, this, with this lesson, you know, we're talking about understanding anxiety, you're probably thinking, Clay, like, I get it. You know, I don't need a whole message on, on understanding what anxiety is. I experience it on a, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, we all know too well what it feels like to be anxious. You know, I was th- thinking through maybe something you guys, nobody likes public speaking, right? So it's, it's like that comms class you've got to take to graduate. You just see it there on your, your degree completion plan, you know, you just, it's looking at you, and you look back at it, and it just makes you feel sick to your stomach. But you've got to take it, right? So here you are preparing your presentation, and you're thinking things like, how in the world am I going to talk for 15 minutes straight in front of the entire class? What if I look like an idiot, right? You try to envision the class, what it's going to feel like in that moment, looking at them, but it only makes it worse. Your heart starts beating faster just thinking about it. But somehow you push through it, you get it written out, but then the day comes to actually deliver the presentation. You barely slept the night before because you were going over and over it in your mind. You don't want to leave something out. You've prayed, but you still feel like a nervous wreck. You think something like, maybe prayer's not really working for this. And you're walking to class. You take your seat. And once you sit down, things get worse. They don't get better. The moment's approaching. It's like the moisture completely leaves your mouth. It goes to places you don't want it to go. Right? Like your armpits and your palms. When you try to wipe your hands, you notice you're shaking, so that's not good. But somehow, by some strange providence, some strange mercy, you make it through your presentation. And now you're relieved it's over. And you think, okay, finally, anxiety's gone. It's not. You sit down, and a new wave crashes down on you almost as soon as you take your seat. You think things like, what did everybody think? What did the teacher think? Did I, did, I look, did I actually look like an idiot? You know, am I gonna, what grade am I going to get? Am I going to pass? Am I going to have to do this again? You know, it's this anxiety. We've all experienced it, and it is a, a sadly common struggle. Now, I know that the situation I just described is kind of funny because we all, you know, struggle with that. Most people I know struggle with public speaking, but sometimes the, the struggle with anxiety is not funny at all. Sometimes it is absolutely debilitating. It's paralyzing. It's humiliating. Fear can be so strong. It can be so acute that the body revolts. 
you've ever had a panic attack, you know what I'm talking about. They can be terrifying, especially when it seems like nothing is triggering the panic. They just happen. And pretty soon, you start living in fear of the panic attack itself. And then questions start racing. What's going on? Something wrong with me? Is this normal? Do I have a disorder? Do I have a phobia? Am I sinning? What's causing this? Is it hereditary? Is my, my mom is a real you know, worrier. Is it biological? Is something wrong with my brain? Is it environmental? Are there too many toxic relationships around me? Too many stressors in my life? Is it cognitive? Is, does this have to do with how I think? Is it wrong ways of thinking that aren't based on reality? Do I need meds? What about therapy? Counseling? And depending on who you ask, you might get a different answer to those questions. So today, I want us to just kind of get a crash course in really what is anxiety. Try to understand, first from a cultural perspective, because so much is coming at you guys. So much is coming at us from a cultural perspective on this issue. So we want to first take some time and think through that, but then evaluate that according to Scripture. So that's really our goal. And today we're just going to ask and answer six questions. Six questions about anxiety. And we'll start with number one, how does the culture understand anxiety? Now, again, this is a 40-minute message, so we're not going to be able to get into the depths maybe that, that you would want to get with some of these questions, but this is just my goal is to give, give you a framework, a crash course today to help you evaluate some of these things. How does the culture understand anxiety? Well, according to the APA, which is the American Psychological Association, we'll start there. According to the APA, they define anxiety like this. They say anxiety is an emotion that's characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. So, if you kind of boil that down, you could just say it's, it's defined as an emotion of sort of, of worry or worried thoughts. You feel tense. It's obviously accompanied by Raised blood pressure, cotton mouth, sweaty hands. So it's an emotion, right, that, that, that feels tense and worried. And this emotion brings with it changes to the body. Now, the same group of, of psychologists, they distinguish between fear and anxiety. Again, just helping you understand the culture. They, they, make, they, draw, they, draw distingu- they distinguish between fear, which is more normal, and anxiety, which is a problem. Okay? So here's, here's what they say. They say fear is the emotional response to real or per, or a real or perceived imminent threat, whereas anxiety is anticipation of a future threat. So that's how they would distinguish the two. Fear is the emotional response to a real or perceived imminent threat, whereas anxiety is the anticipation of a future threat. Fear is more normal, something that's just part of being human, according to these psychologists. We all experience it. It's appropriate. It's short-lived. But anxiety is much more problematic. It is concerned with the future. It's much longer. It's, it's sometimes it's not exactly clear what you're anxious about. And it's usually, according to them, stress-induced. Right? So the problem is in, is in the stressors that you're experiencing. 
And this kind of persistent anxiety is classified as a disorder. You know, if it's persistent. They, they, they don't like to put time frames on it, but if they had to, they would say six months of feeling this in and out, but they, they acknowledge that that is flexible. If it's more than six months, it's usually they, they would say you have some kind of disorder. And there are lots of these disorders. Children might feel abnormally anxious when they separate from their parents. You know, they should be old enough now to not have these things. And so that's called separation anxiety disorder. It can happen in adults too, but common in children. Or you might have an irrational fear of small spaces. They would say that's a phobia. Or you might be afraid of larger crowds for a whole host of reasons. And you might have social anxiety disorder. So my point here is that they classify persistent fear as a disorder. And most commonly, people think about anxiety as just really, here's a quote from an article, part of the cost of admission to humanity. That's what one, one writer said. Part of the cost of admission to humanity. It's usually brought on by stress or caused by stress. And kind of hopeless, since life is full of stressors, the best you can do is learn to cope with your anxiety. You can never fully eliminate it. All you can do is manage the symptoms so that it doesn't become completely debilitating. If it is debilitating, then it's recommended that you try cognitive therapy or medication similar to depression, similar treatment plan to depression that we looked at a few weeks ago. So that's how the culture is thinking about, or at least the professional culture is thinking about what we hear about as, as anxiety. You've probably heard some of these things before. So how about the scriptures? Well, that's our second question. Well, what do I have there? Yeah, it should be coped with or managed is what they would say. So our second question here is, how does the Bible talk about our anxiety? Now, the rest of our questions are dealing with, with the scriptures this morning, so don't think that this, is this, this second question is all we're going to say. Um, I just want to orient you to the language of scripture on, on this. The Bible actually does use the terms anxiety and fear. Last week, we, we saw that it doesn't use the term depression. Uh, although it talks about the concept. But in this case, it does use these terms, anxiety and fear. But the Bible doesn't draw a sharp line between these two. They're, they're used interchangeably. And they're used quite often. Um, the Bible knows that we struggle with fear. So, kind of a, a fun fact, I, I just, just did a quick search on the phrases, do not be afraid, do not fear, do not be anxious. And just in an English translation, and those phrases combined are used around 77 times in the English Standard Version. 77 commands to do not fear, do not be afraid, do not be anxious. So clearly, uh, the scriptures know that we struggle with fear. But beyond those terms of just fear and anxiety, the Bible also uses a variety of other words to describe these terms. And I don't remember if I have these in here. Yeah, I've got, I've got them up. And... Example, example here is um, Jesus describes Martha as anxious and troubled in Luke 10.41. Anxious and troubled. Her, her heart was troubled 
Jesus also talks in terms of the cares of life or the cares of this world. Matthew 13, 22. Luke 21, 42. The point here is just, I'm just, again, I'm going to give you a resource on this so you don't feel like you have to write all these down, but I'm just orienting you to the language that Scripture uses here. He talks about the cares of the world, the cares of this life, and and being being preoccupied with these cares can distract us from the most important things, Jesus says. People in Scripture are described as being concerned or worried for the well-being of others. And you think of um, Saul's father. Can I give you an Old Testament example of this? Saul's father. When Saul is chasing the donkeys, looking for the donkeys, and then he's gone from home way too long, he's like, Dad's going to be concerned about us. Like, he's going to be worried about, about us if we don't come home. Uh, Jesus' parents, when they were looking for him in the temple, couldn't find him, were described in similar terms. Others are described as terrified, right? Like the disciples, when they saw Jesus walking on the water. Terrified. Matthew eleven twenty six. 26. Other language for this fear is people are in distress or they're distressed. And that's actually what's just, that's, that's the translation used in the ESV for, for when Jesus' parents couldn't find him on their way home from Jerusalem. They'd been searching for him, this Luke says, in great distress. In Luke chapter 2, verse 48. And the Bible also acknowledges that we face situations that pressure us, right? Or what we might call stress today. Paul acknowledged over in 2 Corinthians 11, that he felt the pressure for the well-being of the churches that he cared for. So my point here is just to show you the wide variety of language that the Bible uses when it comes to our experience of fear. Like we said, in Scripture, these terms for fear and anxiety and worry, they're all kind of interchangeable. And it's clearly a pervasive issue. Humans are continually responding with the emotion of fear in the Scriptures. Now, one thing we need to point out is that according to Scripture, there are certain circumstances when it's appropriate and even good to fear. So we saw that again last, last time with depression. There's, there's times where it's appropriate to feel sad. We're commanded to feel sad. Well, in the same way, there's times in Scripture where we're commanded to fear. And it's appropriate to fear. We could say it like this, something's wrong with us if we're not fearful or concerned about the things that Scripture says we should be afraid of or we should be concerned about. So that leads us to our third question, when is it appropriate to fear? When's it appropriate? Well, the first thing you probably think about is, when you think about the command to fear, what are we commanded to fear? Who are we commanded to fear? God. Same word group, Right? is used of the fear of God. It's essential that we fear God. And I could have written down so many uh, references here, but I gave you one command from Peter. The Apostle Peter commands us to fear God in 1 Peter 2.7. And when the Bible talks about this fear of God, it's not talking about a kind of hateful dread, you know, like that, like that servant who received the mina and he hid it and he's like, I know you're a severe man, you know, so I didn't, didn't do anything with my mind. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. That's what the, the kind of fear that unbelievers have of the Lord. It kind of says God's unjust, God's impulsive, God's ready to strike you down at any little thing. 
That's not the fear of God. To fear God means that you understand who He is and you appropriately revere Him. And you're concerned with displeasing Him. If you, can, if you had a good upbringing and you had a, a faithful father in your life, you know what I'm talking about. It's this, this kind of filial fear, you know? Doing something you're not supposed to do or maybe you're pushing the envelope with mom and dad walks in. And it's like, you know, you wouldn't say you're like in dread of your dad, but there's something about dad's presence that just evokes a, a, a reverential fear of like, I better straighten up because my dad needs business. You know, maybe his discipline hurts a little bit more than mom's. I don't know. But there, you, there, there's, a, there's a fear that, that comes into play there, a, a respect. The fear of God trembles and heeds his warnings. It distrusts self. You can see Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Our problem as humans is not necessarily that we fear, but it's that we don't fear the right person. Matthew 10, 28. We don't fear the right person. We fear humans rather than God. And before we came to Christ, we didn't really fear God at all, Paul says in Romans 3.18. There was no fear of God in our eyes. And that is the, the telltale sign, the hallmark of an unbeliever. But when we came to Christ, the Lord implanted this fear within us, this fear of, of the Lord, this desire to want to please Him. He changed our will. That was the promised in Jeremiah 32, the new covenant. He says, I will put the fear of me in their hearts. Jeremiah 32. And then Acts 2 shows that being worked out. It says awe came upon every soul in Acts 2, or just this, this, um, this fear, same word. Fear came upon every soul in the, good, in the good way. Acts 9 talks about the church walking in the fear of the Lord. It's clear that as the new covenant people of God, we experience this fear. We're going to see next time that learning to fear God, it's not just automatic once we come to Christ, but learning to fear God is a surefire way to fight sinful anxiety, sinful fear. My point here is just this kind of fear is absolutely essential for us to have and to cultivate according to Scripture. So that's one, one situation in which it's appropriate to fear. Here's another one. It's appropriate to feel fear in crisis situations. And this is just normal using the observational faculties that God's given us. If, if somebody breaks into your house, you are going to feel a surge of fear. Praise God. If you don't, something's wrong with you. Because that, that fear is going to motivate you to do something, to respond. The adrenaline kicks in, right? And, and things start happening. That's the way God's designed us. Or maybe a little bit more relatable for you. When you realize you've overslept and you only have 15 minutes to get to work or to class, right? That's what I'm talking about. The adrenaline kicks in. Most mornings, it's like you're prying your eyes open, but not that morning, right? It is just, boom, you are awake and ready. That's the fear impulse that's, that's, that's driving you to say, I got I to gotta get get, kick it into gear here. So, crisis situations, it's appropriate to feel that surge of fear. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sinful fear. All right, and finally, it is good when we have genuine concern, or you might even say anxiety, over the well-being of others. 
Philippians 2.20 on there. There's a, there's a good example on, on that with Timothy. We saw that in our study when we were looking at Philippians. Paul uses this exact same word for anxiety that he tells us not to be anxious for anything in Philippians 4. He uses that same word when he describes Timothy's genuine concern for the Philippian church. Timothy's love for this church caused him to be very concerned about this church. So, point here is just there's categories, right, for, for a good kind of fear, an appropriate fear, a fear that's sort of commanded. Those are some categories, but the Bible also gives us some common categories of sinful fear. Okay? Oh, did I just repeat this slide? Yep. There we go. So, fourth question this morning, when is fear actually sinful? How do we know we've crossed the line? Well, let me give you the categories first, and then we'll, we'll talk about where this sinful fear comes from, okay? Scripture gives, gives us some categories of the sinful fear, and it says, as we might expect, that we, we, we're in sin when we fear man instead of God. When we fear man instead of fearing God. So in, instead of fearing the Lord like we were created to do, instead we, we kind of by default, um, we fear other humans. And the Bible describes this as the fear of man. And it says it's very dangerous for us. Proverbs 29.25, the verse I have listed there for you, describes the fear of man as a snare. It's like a trap. Um, very problematic. And th- this fear of man could literally refer to being afraid of people, right? And like the harm that they could do to you. Like kind of a literal fear of them. Um, again and again in Scripture, we're told not to fear these frightening circumstances like persecution. Because God's with us. He's got His purposes. Um, I've got a bunch of texts here on that that I can, I'll include in the notes there. But you could, you could refer to that. But, but this fear of man transcends just being scared of what others can do to you. It also applies to obsessing over what people think of you. When we fear people, we are essentially idolizing them. And it causes lots of problems in our lives, right? You might be indecisive because you don't want to let down. If whatever decision you make, if you make this decision, it's going to let down your parents, it's going to let down your girlfriend. You know, it's like, oh no. And I can't decide because I can't bear to let either one of those down because I crave their approval. We're idolizing people. We, we replace God and his opinion of us with them and their opinion of us. And it's what's often motivating us under the surface. What will he think of me? You know, I can't let her down. We'll often be tempted to shade the truth because we fear others more than God. And all I'm going to do, I'm going to stop here because we could teach a long time on this topic. I'll just direct you to, to a resource that we put together on this topic uh, from a sermon series that we did a year and a half ago, two years ago, something like that, on the fear of man. It's three, three sermons on that that we turned into a PDF, and it's on the, the Boundless page. Um, and if you've never studied that concept, I would definitely recommend that you go through that with somebody, um, because it will be eye-opening for you. Um, 
the scriptures do that in a number of issues, but this one in particular is a, is a crucial issue. This sinful fear of man often drives so much of what we do. When we're preoccupied with the opinions of others, we can know that our fear is off base. A lot more we'll say about that next week. But besides that, the Bible speaks of fear being sinful when it's preoccupied with the future. When we fear the future, we could say. And this is the classic, I included the classic text in here from Matthew 6, Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. As he's dealing with the, the anxieties that we feel. Jesus commands us not to be afraid of the future, generally. In Matthew 6.34, he says, you know, don't be afraid, of, like, don't, don't fear tomorrow, like, tomorrow's going to worry about itself, remember that? And then he gets specific, he tells us not to fear having the basic necessities for survival, like food and drink and clothing. These cares of the world can choke out faith, they can tempt us to rely on ourselves. And this anxiety about the future, which is super interesting, can, can motivate hard work. You ever think about that? This fear of the future can motivate hard work, and it's, it, in Psalm 127.2, it's described as anxious toil. Anxious toil that the Lord does not bless. He talks about the guy that rises early, he goes to bed late, and he's doing it anxiously, trying to eke out an existence for himself, not entrusting himself to the Lord and his provision. And this anxious toil, the Lord does not bless. Interestingly, though, the wise woman of Proverbs 31, she too rises early, goes to bed late. She too works hard, but it's motivated from a fear of the Lord. Or we could say from faith. So this sinful, this sinful fear uh, could look like working, you know, working hard to, to make things come together. And it might also look like hoarding what you have. That would be another another. Um, indicator that you struggle with this. You're not as generous as you ought to be. So those are two of the most common categories of our sinful fear. We could talk about more of them, but when we're sinfully anxious, we're usually either preoccupied with the opinions of others or we're like fearfully obsessing about the future. Who we're going to marry? What, what, what's going to happen to us? Where, are we going to land that job? Are we going to finish school? But we shouldn't limit it just to those two categories. Our hearts can find a way to be afraid of almost anything. And uh, Jesus captures this really well when he, he told Martha, he said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Many things. Luke ten forty one. There was a lot competing for first place in her heart. But Jesus said that there's really one thing that's necessary, one thing that takes priority above all else, and that is trusting Him. Or as He says in Matthew 6, seeking the kingdom first. So, Paul says that we shouldn't let our hearts be sinfully anxious about anything. Philippians 4, 6. So it's a tall order. And uh, speaking of of trusting the Lord then, that, that brings us to our fifth question, and we really need to dial in on where this fear comes from. Where does sinful fear come from? Well, the short answer is it comes from us. It comes from us, ultimately. And in Scripture, it is absolutely critical 
to see that anxiety, fear, worry, these things that we, that we experience, these things are fundamentally our personal response to a scary situation. Whether that scary situation is a real threat, it's a perceived threat, whether it's right now, whether it's in the future, we're responding to something in fear. And that means we are choosing to fear. We're choosing to fear others. We're choosing to obsess over the future. We're choosing to rely on ourselves. And that means, if we're choosing it, then we're responsible for it. We are responsible, ultimately, for our anxiety. Now, it's so tempting to want to blame our anxiety on something outside of us, isn't it? You know what I'm talking about? Certainly how it feels. You know, it seems like I was fine before the scenario that triggered my anxiety. That's how we talk today, you know. We we say things like, that professor stresses me out. Think about that. That professor stresses me out. What are we saying? That professor is responsible for my anxiety. Or, you know, you might be talking to a friend and you say, you just need to get out of that relationship. He is toxic. You're always anxious around him. You've got to end it. Now, that may be true. Okay? You may not be a very good dude, but you've got to be careful that you're not reinforcing to your friend that the, the toxicness is coming from outside her if she's anxious. Ultimately, she is choosing to be with him and she is choosing to respond to him in fear. That's the biblical assessment. This doesn't mean our circumstances don't have any impact on us. They certainly do. But they're not the primary cause of the fear. You can think of them as occasions for our fear or exposures of our fearful hearts. If you want the foil to this, you can just think about Jesus, right? Like, he was put in all kinds of terrifying scenarios, but he was never sinfully afraid because it wasn't coming out of his heart like it comes out of our hearts. You can think of the, the circumstances as, this, as, as like the, the gas that's poured on a fire that's already burning. So it's going to burn a lot harder, a lot brighter, yeah, but it's not the primary cause. The professor or the toxic boyfriend is not the cause of the spark, but they can certainly cause that spark to burn brighter. But we're also tempted in another way. We're tempted to think of our anxiety as more of an illness or maybe like a sickness um, at times. And I think that's coming from the cultural understanding of, of like this is a disorder, right? And we, we think of it as sort of a sickness or an illness. And I, could, I often, here's, here's how it comes out. People say something like, I have anxiety. Right? Like it's a condition I have. But when I probe around, they think they have like this condition instead of an actual sin problem. So again, you know, what's the ultimate cause of our sinful fear? Well, it is, it's rooted in unbelief. It's rooted in unbelief. A lack of faith is the root issue. You're going to hear this on repeat because all our issues stem from a lack of faith (laughs) at some level. 
But a lack of faith is the root issue. If, if you would, in the, in the time we have left, turn over to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. I was meditating on this passage all week when we were away. It's a powerful, powerful passage. And I just want to key in on a little nugget here that's almost in passing that's really the linchpin of this whole, this whole thing. Throughout this, throughout this passage, really beginning in um, verse 25, Jesus is working through why we're anxious and, and, and motivations to not be anxious. He commands us not to be anxious several times. He gives us the alternative to seek the kingdom first. Um, and then he gives us all these truths that are going to be really helpful as we battle anxiety. And we'll look at some of those next time. But embedded in verse 30, I want you to see this. We'll read it together. He, he gives us the cause of it. If, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? It's clear that the disciples were struggling with fear. And Jesus gets right to the heart of it when he calls them. He doesn't say, oh, you little anxious people. He says, you have little faith. You need your faith strengthened. A lack of faith or weak faith, we might say for the Christian, is the root issue. In other words, if these disciples knew their God, if they knew the promises that Jesus was sharing with them in this very passage, if they knew his character, his commitment to them, and they trusted that over what they felt, that's the answer. That's how faith is strengthened. Now, I was reading a book last week, or two weeks ago, um, entitled Future Grace by John Piper. You ever read that? Um, he has a chapter on battling anxiety by faith. It's really good. Future Grace. And he gives a great illustration. I thought it was really helpful. He, he talks about how when you, when you first, if, this, if you're new to this idea that like my anxiety is rooted in unbelief, it's just like, that sounds like, kind of like a gut punch. Like, whoa. That sounds really bad. It sounds like really bad news at first. Because it's worse than you thought. Right? You thought it was just something that was just happening and, and you're trying to cope with it, but now you're realizing that you're actually in sin. But in the end, it's actually great news because we're able to diagnose the real cause and because there's a cure for that cause that the Scriptures give. And so he likens it, Piper does, he likens it to having stomach pain. He says, you've tried to change your diet and you've pursued all these remedies, but this, it's not working. You know, these, these changes are not, these, these remedies aren't working. And finally, a test comes back that shows you have cancer in your small intestine. And it's like nobody wants to see word, right? But it's bad news on the face of it. But it's good news because you know the real culprit and it's treatable. There's a cure for this, a simple cure for this, for this problem. And so instead of coping with anxiety, instead of just managing symptoms, there is real hope for transformation when we get the problem right, 
There's real hope for lasting peace, for real change, for the development of courage and fruit, even in this debilitating area. Even if you feel like you've been an anxious person and you inherited anxious genes and you got no hope, right? Like there is tremendous hope by the power of Christ in his word. He truly has come to teach us his truth and have his truth set us free. So we'll end here. We'll ask our sixth question. What is the biblical remedy? What is the biblical remedy? So if the core problem is unbelief, then the core solution is what? Trusting, yep, cultivating faith, right? Cultivating faith in God. And so when you, when you kind of catch this, it, it brings these passages on fear into, into new light. You kind of see it everywhere, right? Like, I'll just give you Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Or literally, I will put my trust in you, right? When I'm afraid... I'm going to trust you. The cultivation of faith is the antidote. It's the biblical remedy. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. And I mean, we could multiply examples on that. As we learn about our God, as we learn who He is and what He has promised to us, as we learn to trust in His Word above what we feel, as we learn to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, and as we learn to act on what we know to be true, this is how we make real and tangible progress against our anxiety. Just like depression that we looked at the last, last, few, last few weeks. And so, I'll just give you a little teaser here. Uh, bring some of this together. What does this look like kind of in real time? We're going to flesh this out next week. This happens as we take our thoughts captive and we, we think according to his truth. Remember that from Philippians 4. Think on these things. And not as, as we're thinking, as we're also choosing to act on what we know is true versus how we feel. Philippians 4. Practice these things. He says, think about these things and practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Has to do with our thinking. Are we thinking about what's true, about what Christ has said? Are we setting our thoughts on that and are we choosing to act on what we know is true? Choosing to obey regardless of how we feel. And that worked out then would look like choosing to rejoice. Right? Because we always have a reason to to have joy if we're Christians. The big things haven't changed. and if, Are we going to believe that or not? That's the question. And if you do, you can make the choice to rejoice. Philippians 4. Rejoice always, he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. This looks like also cultivating gentle responses when things don't go our way. Again in Philippians 4. The impulse is when situations are pressing in on us to be angry or frustrated. Oftentimes my anger... Here's a fun fact. My anger is rooted in fear. I am afraid. And so cultivating gentleness forces us to trust the Lord, to trust His promises, and to respond gently when I'm provoked. And that's the way to peace. This looks like learning to commune with the Lord in grateful prayer and supplication. 
Philippians 4, 6. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We're going to talk about it. We're going to flesh all this out next time. But it's ultimately, you can sum it up. If you're still in Matthew 6, you can sum it up by saying this is, this is learning to seek the kingdom first. Learning to seek the kingdom first. Learning to fear God over fearing men. All of this comes together, and it happens as we learn to renew our minds, think rightly, and act on what we know is true. This is incredibly hopeful and life-giving for the people of God. Christ does not want us living in fear, and He's come to us, He's given us His Spirit, and His Spirit is committed to displacing our sinful fear, which is rooted in unbelief. So if you belong to Christ today, and if you struggle with fear, which we all do, we should take heart. Christ is with you, He has pledged to help you, and to help you make progress, even in this area, as debilitating as it might feel. So next time, we're going to look at how to battle sinful fear. We'll look at that in more detail. And what I want you to do is, I know I didn't give you much breathing room with depression. Maybe, that, maybe there was a lot of questions about that that were surfacing. There will probably be some questions that surface in, you know, coming out of this. That's great. Write them down. Send them to me. Um, because in not this, not this coming Sunday, but the following, um, I'm going to open it up for a Q&A. And I'm still deciding on exactly how to do it because we're going to have a guest with us, uh, my friend Omri Miles from, um, from Tempe. He's the guy that you bought the T-shirts for. He's going to be planting the church in um, New Orleans. And he directs a counseling center in, um, he's a pastor, he's a shepherd, but he directs a counseling center at, in Tempe. And so he's, he's had a lot of experience in some of these things in counseling people. So it'll be a good chance to kind of grill him and... Uh, might weigh in too. If Rich is here, we'll definitely pick his brain um, on some of these things as well. So if you've got questions, if their questions are coming up, write them down, send them to me, and um, I'll make start, start curating a little list that we can talk through, because a lot of you will probably have the same, same questions. So um, sound good? All right. Do you have questions or no? This is going to be a monologue. I have questions. Yeah, if you got them, seriously, send them. Don't, don't just kind of be like, oh, cool, somebody else will send questions. Like, actually send them because we want to try to be as helpful as we can in, in this series. So, next time we'll look at battling anxiety, and um, the following week we'll open it up for questions around depression and anxiety. All right? Sound good? All right, you're dismissed.